This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Doug Gottlieb. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, has their fast, free shipping, free roadhouse protection, convenient installation options, and their selection of the best tires, like the highly consumer-rated BF Goodrich All-Terrain TA KO2. But did you know they sell other automotive products as well? Wheels, brakes, and suspension, just to name a few. Everything you need to elevate your drive, just go to TireRack.com slash sports, TireRack.com. It's the way the tire buying should be. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio, coming to you live and direct from the city of Angels. Where we have two football teams that no one cares about. At least one baseball team headed to the playoffs. Another one, maybe, maybe, that nobody cares about. And, of course, uh, two NBA teams that people assume won Next year, we'll get a player that makes people care about. Uh, L.A.'s a crazy city. Uh, We'll cover some of that, some of the new LeBron discussions upcoming. Plus, last night's Monday Night Football game, which is a (gasps) snoozer, and why you can call out your quarterback without actually calling out your quarterback. Lots to get to. Jerry Jones defends Ezekiel Elliott. Not a shocker if you followed Jerry Jones before. But what I want to start with is Kevin Durant admitting that he's sorry not sorry. 
right? So, Kevin Durant yesterday we we covered and has been discussed and even joked about that he had uh, he had a a burner Twitter account that he was tweeting back and forth, and of course then that Twitter account uh, somehow morphed into his regular Twitter account where he let it be known, or at least we assumed it was him, let it be known. The real reason he left Oklahoma City for Golden State was he didn't love the organization, he didn't love playing for Billy Donovan, and it wasn't anything to do with Russell Westbrook. It was more there just wasn't enough talent around them. If you take Russ off that team, then what's left? Kevin Durant has addressed the situation. He was at the Tech Crunch in San Francisco. This was earlier today. Take a listen. I do have other Instagram account, but that's just for my friends and family. So I wouldn't say I was using that to clap back at anybody, but I use Twitter to engage with the fans. I think it's a great way to engage with, you know, basketball fans. But I happen to take it a little too far. And that's what happens sometimes when I get into these basketball debates or, you know, what I really love is just to play basketball. I went a little too far. And I don't regret clapping back at anybody or talking to my fans on Twitter. I do regret um, using my former coach's name and that former organization that I played for. That was childish. That was uh, idiotic. All those type of words, I regret doing that. And I apologize to him for doing that. But um, I don't think I'll ever stop engaging with my fans. I think they you know, really enjoy it. And I think it's a good way to connect us all. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll scale back a little bit right now and just focus on playing basketball. So I want to move on from that. It was tough to deal with yesterday. I was really upset with myself, but definitely want to move on and, and keep playing basketball. So, But I still want to interact with my fans as well. All right, let, let me explain. First thing, Kevin Durant, not once did he deny what was tweeted. And most people ask for a pass saying they were hacked, right? We didn't hear that from Kevin Durant. So he did say, you got me, it was me. He didn't say it was my boy. He didn't do the Chris Carter, I got to have a fall guy, right? There was no fall guy. He, in fact, is the fall guy. Now, look, he said, I regret using my former coach's name and talking about my former organization. He didn't say that he (laughs) regretted what he said about his former coach or what he said about his former organization. That's because he's sorry, not really sorry. Now, I don't know if you guys uh, ever studied uh, Sigmund Freud. And there's a there there is there's a bit of a split in the uh, psychological community and okay, the psychologist community in that there are some that believe in Freud's uh, Freud's belief, you know, the id and the uh, the ego and the id, that there's a sense of guilt that exists before the crime. In other words that somebody wants to get caught. That's sure what it feels like. It may be subconscious from Kevin Durant that he wanted to get caught, but there's a lot of people sitting out there going like, dude, he was tweeting just left and right from two different accounts. It's really easy to track the two. At some point, this they had to merge people. He had to know what was going to happen. He wanted to get caught, right? It's like the guy who is so out there with how he cheats on his girl eventually gets caught. Like, you know what? I, I didn't... I didn't like her anyway. I want her to break up with me. This is the easiest reason why. I don't know if you believe in that Sigmund Freud theory, right? That 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 guilt exists before the before the crime is actually committed. 
and that somebody wants to get caught, and that's why they, that's one of the reasons they commit a crime that's easy to catch them on. But it sure feels that way. But let's give Kevin Durant credit. He got caught, and he didn't do the fall guy thing. He didn't say he was hacked. He didn't say somebody else took his phone. He just said it was childish and idiotic, and I shouldn't have named my coach's name or my former team's name. But you know what else? He's probably He felt really bad yesterday. He'll probably start to feel really good from this point forward. Because there isn't anything that was said on Twitter that, from his perspective, is a lie. And it also gives us a much clearer, more honest sense of why he left Oklahoma City. It's Scotty Brooks was his guy. They fired his guy. Billy Donovan was not his coach. He didn't jive with him. He hadn't coached in the pros before. There was a learning curve. He didn't necessarily dig it. And the team doesn't have that much talent. I, I was screaming to the Hilltops, and maybe some of you were too, when people say, well, look at how talented this team is. I'm not saying that Steven Adams isn't talented, but how is he useful in 2017 in the NBA? I go through that roster. Andre Robertson can't shoot, couldn't shoot a lick. Right. And so wherever he was, that guy's man was guarding Kevin Durant. You tell me where all this uh, all this talent is littered on the roster. You had Russell Westbrook, you had Kevin Durant, and then you didn't have a single other player that was worthy of all star consideration. And so the way it feels when you get caught, but you're speaking the truth when you get caught is you feel really bad about the way it comes out. You feel really bad that I'm sure Kevin Durant feels really bad that he made somebody else feel bad because that's who he is as a person. But in a couple of days, this too shall pass. And now at least it's out there. The real reason he left had nothing to do with Russell Westbrook. The real reason he left had nothing to do with Oklahoma City. The real reason he left was this team's better. This coach is better. He's surrounded by better team, better coach, better talent, better organization, and that's why he's out. It stings, but the truth shall set you free, and Kevin Durant is a free man today. That's why he's sorry, not sorry. All right, uh, Mark Schlereth will join the show upcoming next. I'll ask him, get his thoughts on last night's game. Lions any good, or is this more about the Giants and their inability to protect Eli Manning? Eli Manning's inability to deliver the ball on time in rhythm, although there were some past, like, look, there's just a litany of problems. Right? Eli's never been fleet of foot, plus he's older, so it takes him longer to get back and even hand the ball off. They don't have a good running game. They don't have a good offensive line. Brandon Marshall's wa- washed up. They didn't have Janoris Jenkins last night, but their defense was okay. It's not why they got beat. And then some of their decision-making, end of first half, what was what was McAdoo doing allowing the clock to run down end of the first half before that made 56-yard field goal by the Detroit Lions? You call a timeout, kick the field goal, you still got a minute left to go get a field goal back. What a, what a mess it is with the New York Giants, all New York uh, NFL football. That said, they, it was a, a game that could be won. Could have been won in spite of the fact they couldn't protect Eli Manning. They can't establish a running game. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Let's work in Mark Schlereth, three-time Super Bowl champion, who joins the show. Mark, 
Uh, all right, so how much of the Giants' offensive dysfunction is on Eli? How much of it is on uh, on other stuff? Well, I think the majority of it's on other stuff. You know, I'm watching a play last night after Eli's gotten his brains beat in. I mean, he got planted in the turf so hard one time, I thought he was going to go through the turf and see where they buried Jimmy Hoffa. I mean, it, it was like, that was frightening how hard he got hit last night. And so late in that game, it's still a very close and, and winnable game. I mean, I see him redirect protection. I see him re- reclaim, uh, reassign the mic from the middle linebacker 40 to a different linebacker, change the protection so the offensive line goes to the lat linebacker, which allows the running back go to the slot corner blitz. Right, So you pick up the four-week, he makes the change, he's still under pressure, he throws a dime down the sideline to Ingram, and you know, the play gets broken up. But this is late in the game. That's advanced quarterbacking stuff right there. And we're going to sit there and say, well, Eli has lost it. I don't know anybody, especially a drop-back pocket passer, that can sustain that kind of beating and play well. And I would look at it from a coaching standpoint. Like Ben McAdoo is going to – call him out for the mismanagement of the clock and not getting the ball snapped on a fourth down play? How about you mismanaging the entire game and understanding that your last tackle couldn't block his way out of a wet paper sack and you're still going to leave him one-on-one a bunch of times with Beyonce? Yeah, why did they chip him more? Why did they chip him more? I mean, Ansa was just dominating Eric Flowers. You, I mean, you have to give that guy help every time, don't you? Every single time. And you're going to have to give up. I know you you know, you know, want to spread the ball around and you've got all these new toys on the outside. The bottom line, I don't care how much talent you have on the outside, the receiver is probably the most dependent position in football. And if you can't block guys and your quarterback can't execute and throw the ball, I don't care how much money you spend. I don't care how flashy they are. I don't care how much blonde hair is out there. They're not going to, they're not going to affect the game at all. I look at OBJ as like the only way he could have affected that game is he could play left tackle. That's it. And the fact that you're a coach and you're going to sell your quarterback out there for clock management and not getting a ball snapped, and you don't essentially completely change the way you protect, like Ben McAdoo, how about Ben McAdoo? Because that's about what your game in-game adjustments were worth. I, I don't know, man. I mean, you can sit there and blame Eli all day long, but – we know that he's not mobile, so we know that it's not going to be like, hey, let's change his launching point. Let's get him outside the pocket like we can with Matthew Stafford. But for crying out loud, to sit there and blame it on Eli Manning like Eli Manning is the problem, to me, is it, it, it just doesn't give him the proper amount of respect that he deserves for what he was what he was dealing with last night. Uh, Marsh Larris joining us in the Doug Gottlieb Show. All right, what about the Lions? They're sitting there at 2-0, and but it wasn't like they – as ineffective, it's kind of similar to the Cowboys, where the Cowboys' defense was effective, but their offense was relatively ineffective, and Hoam was a 19-3 win. Uh, kind of same thing last night, where they allowed the Giants to kind of hang around. They get a special teams touchdown, which would seem to put it away. Um, I guess the question is, I mean, I think we'd all agree the Lions are good, but are they, like, best team in that division good, seeing as the Packers' flaws, also because of injury, not having their tackles, but the Packers' flaws have been exposed. Give me your thoughts on the Lions now that we've seen them. I think the Lions are an outstanding football team, and I think anytime you look at where they are offensively, I think you always have to put it in context. Like the Dallas Cowboys, we know how good they are running the football, 
And then all of a sudden, they have to play against the Denver Broncos in that environment, in that crowd noise, with the no-flop zone. And it was probably the first time that I have ever watched Dak Prescott look like a young player. Like, he came into the league, and he didn't look young. I mean, he looked like a seasoned veteran, like an old soul guy. And all of a sudden, you put him in a position where he looked shell-shocked. Like, he looked totally um, beside himself. Completely and yep. the Broncos will do that to you. You know, it's the first time I've ever seen that guy look like like a, a young second year, you know, second game of his second season quarterback. And that says a lot about the Denver Broncos and what they are on defense. And I look at I look at the Lions and I think you're playing against one of the supremely gifted defenses in football. I think their front four is exceptional. I think with JPP on one edge and Olivier Vernon, who's a phenomenal football player on the other edge, with snacks in the middle, linebacking core, they've got, in my mind, the best secondary in an NFC, the second-best secondary in, in all of football behind the Broncos. I mean, the fact that you – uh, have some sustained drives, and you put up the points you did, and I understand one of them was a special teams touchdown, but I'm saying you did a pretty damn good job against that team in New York. So I think the, I think the Lions are legit, and I think they're going to give the, I, I think they're going to give the Green Bay Packers a run for their money for that division ground. That's the voice of Mark Schlera, three-time Super Bowl champion, Fox Sports NFL analyst, joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show here on. Fox Sports Radio. Uh, all right, let's let's kind of peruse around a couple other things I got to pick your brain about in the league. So you mentioned Dak Prescott. I saw him being rattled as well, and I understand that you're playing in Denver and that that pass rush and the crowd noise and the no-fly zone and all of that. I felt like Ezekiel Elliott quitting on interception. And, and oh, yeah, by the way, I mean, he wasn't the only. De- Des Bryant also quit on the play on the interception as well. But Zeke quitting on it, to me, that was more about his disgust at at Dak than it was him quitting on his team. What's your take on when you see a star, young star running back not give any effort after a uh, interception? Well, I think, it's, I think it's the same thing that we've talked about in regards to Des Bryant in the past. I think it's the same thing we talk about in regards to OBJ. I think it's the same thing we've been talking about all off season in regards to Ezekiel Elliott, emotional maturity and the lack thereof emotional maturity. And I understand you're getting your ass whipped. And trust me, I've had mine whipped plenty. All right. The bottom line is you're going to turn that, you're going to turn that film on on Monday after that butt whipping that you took. And you're going to watch that film and you're going to say, who is still fighting? Who is still giving great effort? Who is still, you know, tooth and nail clawing their way into trying to make something big happen? And who has just been, you know, just exhausted and just thrown under the towel and thrown their hands up? Because that's a bad look. And that comes with the maturity uh, and and having grown-ups on your football team. We need some grown-ups. Where are the grown-ups? And, you know, the issues that you have had off the field – those were those to me are are the emotional lack of emotional maturity that you have shown off the field was shown on Sunday in Denver. I understand it's not fun to get your butt whipped. Been there, man, done it, both physically, mentally, everything else. That's not a fun thing to do. But you need to be grown up enough and mature enough and adult enough to handle your business like a professional. And as I always say, just because you play a pro sport 
doesn't make you a professional. And there was a lack of professionalism in the effort that was given by Zeke Elliott on Sunday. Um, look, the, the, every Chargers game seems to end the same way, right, with some sort of disappointment. And, like, look, I, I get that they were lucky to even be in that Denver game, and it wasn't the young kicker's fault uh, that the that the field goal was blocked, but it was, in fact, blocked. And then they have a rookie kicker who misses two field goals, including what should have been a game winner in the hope, home opener in Carson. How do you, how do you change that? Uh, how do you change that kind of culture of losing? The expectation that 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 something bad is going to happen into the expectation you know that good teams have, where they always expect something good to happen. Right, and that is a, a mentality. And you know, we always see teams take over or new coaches come into an organization that we have to change the culture. And it's always an easy thing to talk about, changing the culture. It's a really hard thing to do. And, you know, teams that are in that situation, Doug, expect that bad things to happen. They're just looking for it. I always used to say this. When, when I was a member of really good football teams, uh, the, the Redskins in 91 that won 11 in a row right off the bat of the season, the Broncos in 97 and 98 that won back-to-back championships and won 13 in a row to start the 98 season. You're always going to get people's best shot. But I always said this, you know, when you play the bad teams in this league, their coaches are preaching, hey, we got to play a perfect game. You know, we've got to really be sharp. And my thought to that was there's never been a perfect game played, and something bad is going to happen. There's going to be a mistake. How do you, as a football team, react to that mistake? Do you embrace it and say, it's all right, man, we're just going to keep falling over, or is it the tipping point that you say, oh, shoot, here we go. We didn't play a perfect game. We made a mistake. And the teams that culturally are looking for that one bad thing to happen, because to me, that's the excuse the excuse to roll over. Um, they'll never get out of that slump. Winning is habit, so is losing. And when you've had that kind of cultural experience and you almost are just waiting for the other shoe to drop, you're waiting for that bad thing to happen to you, when it does happen to you mentally, you just flat go in the tank. And that's the San Diego Chargers. They just feel stink bit, whether it's injuries, whether it's bad things happening at the end of the games. Go back to last year. They dominate the Kansas City Chiefs to open up the, the season last year and somehow give up a huge, a huge uh, lead at the end of that game and, and lose a football game. And that's just kind of who they are, and that's their culture. And at some point, you just got to realize, hey, some bad things are going to gonna happen to us, and we're just going to find a way to overcome it. Um, the Saints are 0-2. No other team in their division even has a loss. That's because Tampa's only played one game. And now, granted, they play Carolina this week, and Carolina's uh, suffered through a litany of uh, really tough injuries, including Greg Olson out with a broken foot. But at, at 0-2, and it's not easy to start at Minnesota and then home to the Patriots, but they are 0-2, and, and it, the defense does not appear to have been fixed. The offense has good running backs, and yet it's a pass. It's really a passing offense. So they mismatch parts. I guess that the question becomes, like, at some point, do you say, look, Drew Brees is the, mo- is the best quarterback we've ever had, but we might need to move on. And Sean Payton's the best coach we've ever had, but he keeps trying to redo this thing, and it's not being rebuilt the right way. What do you do if you're in New Orleans? Yeah, there comes a time when you have to really, you know, make hard evaluations and really assess kind of where you're at. And you're 100% right. I mean, this is a pass-happy offense with a pass-happy quarterback with 
you know, with with your best player now playing in New England in Brandon Cooks. Um, you're just really you're really strapped, like you mentioned. And I, I think at some point, you know, you, you look at Drew Brees and you look at the money that you've tied into that, the mismanagement of the cap, the fact that you have not been able to put pieces around him. You won a championship and you were really good for a lot of years and you could win games just by outscoring people. Now you still can't play defense, so you still haven't been able to address that issue. And, oh, by the way, now you don't have the pieces in place for Drew Brees to be successful, so now you can't outscore anybody either. And let's face it, based on week one, it's not like you faced a juggernaut defense in the New England Patriots. So I'm, I'm with you, and I'm, I'm a big Sean Payton fan, and I'm a big Drew Brees fan. But these are the tough decisions you have to make as an NFL franchise. And there comes a time when you have to look at your franchise and, and as much as you love your players, um, there comes a time when you have to blow that thing up and start over from scratch. And that goes, you know, throughout that whole organization, whether it's Mickey Loomis in the front office or whatever, they have not done a good job of managing the cap. They have not done a good job of, of in my mind, of putting players in place to, you know, to, to sustain – kind of that offensive juggernaut or at least fix that defense. And at some point, um, you know, you've got to reevaluate. They may be, maybe the best thing for both of us is for a fresh start. And doesn't mean that I think that Sean Payton is great. And I think he can coach his butt off, but I just don't think they have the personnel to get that done. Or maybe it's, maybe it's the front office and you change the front office and you say, we're going to give you the, the pieces that actually will help you kind of get back on top. Um, but I think sometimes change is a really good thing. And I think within an organization, it, it needs to happen occasionally. Mark Schlerer, three-time Super Bowl champion. You can, of course, see him on Fox and Fox Sports 1. You can hear him on Fox Sports Radio. Stink, thanks so much for joining us, man. Dougie, anytime, brother. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. This is written from the perspective of Dwight Howard, and he's sitting in his apartment in Buckhead in Atlanta. And so immediately I was like, oh, well, he's back in Atlanta. And then I was like, wait a second. No, wait, where, where's he played out? That's right. He plays in Charlotte. Like they gave him away after just one year with his hometown Hawks. Gave him away. Uh, I'll, I'll take it through the kind of the bullet points. He talks about his rookie year. He's an 18 year old virgin. And he talked to them about the time God spoke to him in the bathroom. Steve Francis and Tony Batia teed, uh, invited, the, invited him out to a club once. Never again for fear they'd corrupt him. That's it. We're not letting you go out anymore. Howard's first All-Star weekend in 2005. Players in Denver Hotel uh, compared party invitations. We know you aren't about to do nothing except read your Bible. And, of course, he started going out, and now he has five kids, five different women, none of them who, who he's with. And, of course, he owes them massive amounts of child support. Like, my takeaway for Dwight Howard is he's, he's basically the poster child for why guys should go to college. We, we, do, we talk in circles all the time. and Like, look, I respect Jay Billis. I think he's, he's always been really good as a basketball analyst. He just is. I'm, I'm, I've, I take, and he has a perspective to which he thinks guys should get paid. And he also believes that guys shouldn't be, people shouldn't be forced to go to college. I think it's ludicrous. There has to be a bridge between AAU and high school basketball and the NBA because that's, that's a man's world there. 
and you're just not ready for it. And here's a guy, yes, has LeBron James managed to steer clear of trouble and he's married to his high school sweetheart? Like, sure. Uh, And he surrounds himself with his friends and they've all gotten to have like legitimate jobs and they, they, you know, they're champions of business. But like, that's the exception. That's the exception. On the other spectrum, you have Robert Swift. You remember Robert Swift? He's from Bakersfield. Uh, he's the one who's drafted by the Supersonics. And, you know, then he was bankrupt and, and had all these guns and drugs and tattoos and whatever. Like, that's the other side of it. And what falls in the middle is guys like Dwight Howard who financially and professionally are pretty successful. But it's like the arrested development. Like you need that space in between. He comes from a two-parent home. He was super religious, went to a small private high school. They like they tried to protect him from the rest of the real world. But you can't go from zero to 100, right? You got to have kind of the ramp up. And that's what college is. Like the college thing works. I swear to God, it works. It works in basketball because you be- learn how to become a teammate. You learn about sacrificing. You learn about playing team defense and team offense. And no, it's not a perfect snapshot of what you're going to look like in the NBA, but you get better and you're working with coaches who have worked with 18 to 22 year olds for their entire professional lives. But what we do is we look at a kid and we're like, Oh, he's got water wings on. I'll bet he's a great swimmer. And then we take him, we throw him in the deep end. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb show weekdays at 3 PM. Eastern noon Pacific on Fox sports radio and the iHeartRadio radio app. Kevin Clark wrote this article. What's this from? I, I saw this on Twitter. It's from The Ringer, right? Kevin Clark writes for The Ringer, which is uh, Bill Simmons' site. And the title of it is perfect. How football stopped being fun. He starts with the, we are living in the golden age of failed completions, a statistic as grim as it sounds. Tracked by football outsiders, failed completions occur when a team doesn't get 45% Of the yards it needs to get the first down. 60% on second down, 100% on third or fourth down. The stat goes back to 1989. And last season, Joe Flacco set the record with 144. Nothing encapsulates this era of football as well as failed completion. Allegedly a success, but ultimately a bleak disappointment. In the past five years of the NFL, offenses have reached unprecedented levels of scoring. Quarterbacks have become more accurate than ever. Turnovers have plummeted, and yet... It's not fun. If you simply read uh, statistical markers, it would seem that every offense was as exciting as the pub scene from Inglorious Bastards. Sacks and interceptions hit all-time lows last year, but that just means that quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball quicker, opting for shorter, safer targets, and we have reached the most frustrating era in football history. Everything is fine, and it doesn't look good. Through two weeks, scoring is down 2.4 points a game, that's that isn't a statistical argument. This is about aesthetics. The critical mass of fans agree the game is ugly. It's ugly, as listed in the thirteen to nine Bengals Texans game. Uh, it goes on. Chris Sims with a great quote: "If you show me a team with a great completion percentage, I automatically think your offense probably sucks." And it's it's interesting because first, I don't know how many people watch whole NFL games. But last night's game, because it's the only game on, I watched. Sunday night's game, because it's the only game on, I watched. Thursday night game, because it's the only game on, I watched. Sunday, I usually watch on Red Zone and then have another TV on the regular. And Red Zone, you can't tell as much because teams are around the goal line. 
But but one of the logical reasons behind people picking Atlanta was they're like, oh, that place is going to be so hyped, so on fire. Did you watch the Atlanta Green Bay game? It was like a library in there. Part of it is the building's really big, but part of it is football, NFL football can be super, super boring now. Right? Like, yeah, you run the ball, but also these very short passing routes. I mean, even the, the New England Patriots style is crazy, crazy boring. Crazy boring. Dink and dunk and matriculate the ball down the field. And you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of Major League Baseball. Uh, Dan Byer was talking about this earlier. Uh, Dan, what was this, the stat you're using on baseball with the number of home runs being up this year? Yeah, with tonight, if 17 home runs are hit tonight, that would set a new record for the most home runs hit in a season. And the other stat that I put was last year is actually now third, where this was a stat, Doug, that I had never heard before because 2017 passed it, but heading into this year, 2016 was actually at the second most home runs. So now two out of the three years where the most home runs were hit were in 2016 and 2017. But then I could set the record. Yeah, I, look, I think it's fascinating because what's happened is major league teams and their organizations, they've, they've figured out the analytics to it. Uh, much like they figured out NBA basketball at many times is not a great watch, Right. High ball screen, drive, kick, shoot a three. High ball screen, drive, kick, shoot a three. It, it ain't a great watch. And this is the analytics field. And this, the same goes with the NFL. Why would you run the football right, when it takes years off your running back's life? They haven't changed the rules at all within the tackles. All the rules are set up so you can't touch the quarterback below the knee, above the neck. Can't touch the wide receiver after five yards. And they allow for pick plays with the exception of the Green Bay Packers when they run one against the Atlanta Falcons. Like everything is telling you, everything is telling you to throw the football and to be as accurate as possible and just have short, uh, short dink and dunk, matriculate the ball down the field and end up with a field goal. I mean, NFL games are boring. We don't watch them because they're super exciting right about now. We watch them because we our fantasy game, our fantasy team depends upon it. And we bet on the games. That's it. But NFL is not the only one that's boring. Baseball is boring and basketball is boring. And they're boring because the sports are getting smarter. They understand how to protect their players, how to score more points, and how to do so more often based upon the rules and based upon the rules of the game. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Lee Jenkins joins us in the Doug Gottlieb Show. Writer for Sports Illustrated does an outstanding job. You occasionally see him on the jump as well. Um, Lee, you got a chance to sit down with Dwight Howard. And, like, the first thing that jumped out at me was here he is in Atlanta, which is his hometown he was he uh, signed with last year. And for about a minute and a half, I had forgotten that they had bailed on him and he was a Charlotte Hornet, <laughs> right? Like, that whole thing, like, oh, my God, I forgot. Even they gave up on him. What's, well, there, there's kind of a, uh, a symbolic nature to him looking out at a city that was his hometown that they even they don't want him anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's a salary dump. It was, uh, they gave him the richest contract in the history of the franchise. They, they traded him for Bellinelli and Plumlee. You have two backups. So, I, you know, part of me, Doug, I'll tell you this, though. He, 
you know, he led the Eastern Conference in field goal percentage. He was, I think, 13 and 13 last year. He obviously was a bad fit there. You know, in so many of these teams now, it's five out offenses. There's, there's not a great place for him in a lot of, in a lot of spots. But I do sometimes wonder with him if he's one of these guys who was overrated for a long time and now is underrated. I mean, if you can give, if you can give a team, you know, 15 and 12 and shoot 60 percent. You know, I know it's not the Dwight Howard of old, but there's still value there. So, yeah, I was surprised, like you were, that they gave up on him after a year. You know, I, I read the whole article. Again, I, I thought it was outstanding. I retweeted it as soon as I finished it. Um, but I, I didn't notice any hint of true accountability, right? It was the, hey, I was young, and, you know, I was a little bit lost, and I went out with these guys, and then I got a couple uh, – I got five girls pregnant. And <laughs> – Hey, you know, like I wasn't a good fit in L.A. and I played with a bad back when I shouldn't have, and I played with a bad shoulder when I shouldn't have. But there was never, there was, there's never any. Uh, you know, some of this was me. I, I don't feel that I got any of that. Uh, but, but again, that's really? me reading into it. How much of that is realist? Is is, is yeah. how it really is. I mean, that's funny. I I thought he beat himself up a lot. I mean, I I don't know that I've ever actually talked to a guy, and like you don't get. Remember, NBA players, you know, general big egos and, you know, not a real kind of a real reluctance to blame themselves. I actually thought he he beat himself up as well as much as any player I've, you know, I've ever talked to when it comes talking about, you know, religion and the way he was felt hit like a hypocrite after, you know, pregnating the first girl he was with and, uh, you know, the shame he felt and sort of getting in this cycle and feeling as if he didn't communicate well with teammates in LA and Houston he you know I think he criticized himself for that um so I mean I, I think he basically talked about sort of going through these little existential crises in his head where it was you know everybody would say oh he laughs too much smiles too much so he kind of adopted these different personas that weren't him trying to be like Kobe trying to be like Shaq you know going back and forth um so th- I, I thought those were admissions that I don't usually see or hear professional athletes of that stature make. Um, so, I, you know, I, I guess you know, my takeaway from the interview is a little different, but okay. who knows, I might have bungled it. No, it, that's, it's, it's, some gr- it's a great point, especially because you conducted it, and now you start walking me through I'm like, yeah, there, there was, that, you know, there was more of that than I give him credit. Lee Jenkins, our he guest, called, Sports Illustrated. He called himself a sinner. You know, he, he kind of said that he got in this cycle where he felt like, you know, I mean, this is somebody who was so religious. I mean, you remember when he came out of high school, that was the whole thing, right? The cross on the logo. He was he was kind of this evangelical star. And I think what happened was he, you know, he slipped, obviously. And then I think that he kind of got caught in this cycle where he felt like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to pull out of it anyway. I'm sort of, I'm sort of done as far as that phase of my life. And yeah, I think his life sort of spun out of control on him. Um, but look, there's still excuses. I mean, clearly there's still a lot of excuses to go along with, I think, some of the accountability. So it goes both ways. Uh, okay, so uh, one of the things I thought you did a great job of portraying is here he is, a sheltered kid from a two-parent home, a very religious two-parent home, and a small school in Atlanta where they tried to keep him away from any sin, and he's thrust into the man's world of the NBA. And, and like, look, I understand that there here's a here's a young guy whose body changed rapidly and he was able to play and compete in very short order in the NBA but the the emotional toll of skipping 
kind of the normal progression of a man, right? High school yeah. into college, you know, three, four years to figure stuff out and then go out into the real world. One of my big takeaways is, man, I wonder how that Dwight Howard tale would have been as not financially and not statistically, but in terms of the type of person in life he will have for the next 50 years had he gone to college. Remember, and this was the last, this was the big class, I think it was eight or nine first-round draft picks in 03 uh, when, he went, uh, when he went to Orlando. Uh, what, what is... Was your takeaway any different from the, boy, he could sure have used time to grow and mature before he got to Orlando? Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's such a sudden difference, right? I mean, you're t- I mean, that's so many of these guys were at that, that level. When they're probably 16, 17, 18, they're already sort of living with stardom, even in their high schools. For him, because he went to such a small school, because he was sheltered to such an extreme extent, I think that it was even more of probably a culture shock when he reached the NBA than it would be for your standard, you know, prep to pro guy where it's already a bit of a culture shock. So no doubt, I think that, you know, when you talk about just sort of an experience to bridge that gap a little bit, to kind of be in between, to be, to learn how to be famous, but not have money or to be on your own but still have some sort of oversight. I mean, he clearly could have benefited from, from any of that because, I mean, this is a guy who he's living with his guys, with his friends from home, which is basically what all NBA players do. You know, and, he, and none of them had had any of these experiences. And when they did, I think, you know, the phrase he used was it was like getting a taste of candy for a kid who never had candy before. So it's, it's a great point. It's one of those things that as parents, like as a parent, like I can totally relate to that, right? Um in You'd the, want to shelter him, right? I mean, to me, I don't blame his parents for the tack they took. I mean, to me, it's the right approach. It's, it's the right approach in theory. But in this case, somebody like LeBron, who probably didn't have that kind of structure, maybe benefited from it. Because when he got to the NBA, well, he'd already figured out sort of how to live being LeBron James. Dwight Howard, I don't think, had that. Yeah, and, and LeBron is the exception to, like, every rule, right? Like, you can't... Right. You can't base what you want to do based upon a once-in-a-generation uh, player, once-in-a-generation person, and a guy who was you know, emotionally different because of his upbringing than 99% of the, of the players out there. Lee Jenkins joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Um, I, I can't see a way in which he's not a Hall of Fame player, but I also can't recall a Hall of Fame player having this sort of uh, mercurial end to his career. I mean, I guess like Shaq bounced around at the end, oh, but, no. but but yeah. but not like this. And it was not as despised. And like he's one of these guys <laughs> to which you say Dwight Howard, and be like, oh, I hate Dwight Howard. Like, why do you hate yeah. Dwight Howard? Right? It's a weird. This is for a guy who, I mean, has that those first ten, those first I don't know nine, ten years were incredible. To be here is a weird place, and he's not an old man. He went from 3.1 million all-star votes, the most ever, the most any NBA player ever in a season, to last year had 150,000. I mean, he had more endorsement deals than LeBron in 2008. It's staggering. I mean, when you think about that kind of a fall from grace, and that happens in other sports, but in the NBA, usually there's more staying power. He's only 31 years old. Yeah, the injuries were part of it. But to me, when you talk about how people recoil at his name, it's more about the teammates the clashing with Kobe, the clashing with Harden. And at some point, 
I think people sort of threw up their hands with Dwight Howard and said, you know, enough. I'm not going to be fooled again. Um, and, and I understand that. I do. I think part of it, too, is his, you know, so much he made a body language with players. And the fact that he had that, that sort of goofball expression all the time and the big smile, I don't think that's what a lot of people want to see from the players. They want to see, they like that kind of cheap gritted, uh, that more killer mentality, the Kobe Bryant persona. But I also think that that really hurt Howard because trying to do that, trying to be more like that, I think in some ways took him out of the persona that gave him success in the first place. Where is he, where is he mentally? Like, do you think he's in a good place? I do. I, I'm I'm hesitant to say it because he says this every year. This kind of storyline has come out about him before. But I do think he has the right people around him. I think that his body, I mean, I watched him work out, and he just looked springier. I mean, he looked so stiff. When you watch him the last few years, you just wonder kind of where that athleticism went. And I do think that that there were after effects from that back surgery that were lasting that I think he's finally starting to get past. Now, will he get caught in a trap of – because let's be honest, he was stuck between eras, right? If he came along right now, somebody drafted Dwight Howard right now, they would let him do a bunch of different things, and they develop him. I'm not saying he'd be Giannis, but they'd make him into a more dynamic player. But because he came out when he did, it was like, no, you sit under the rim, and you just rim protect. And he always felt he was capable of doing more, and that sort of ruined him in some ways. He was kind of caught between eras. So will he be okay kind of doing what he does best in a Steve Clifford system, blocking shots, setting screens? I think it's going to work because I think Clifford knows him knows what they did in Orlando, and will feed him enough offensively to keep him engaged with all the other things that he does well. Because at heart, he's a great defender. I mean, he was DeAndre Jordan before DeAndre Jordan. And I I think that he can get back to some of those things. And listen, if he just spikes, let's give him five more points a game. He's an 18-12 and guy, and we're all saying, oh, he's the most improved player of the year. So I don't think it's such a huge leap to think he could have that kind of speed. Uh, Lee, I'm sure your next sit downs with Kevin Durant and talking Twitter uh, or maybe Instagram. <laughs> it, the, the, the NBA soap opera is the best, but the article today was great. It was really insightful. I felt like I, I felt like Dwight Howard and you took me kind of through a journey of where he was and, and where he is. Thanks so much for, for joining us, and uh, we'll, we'll tweet it out and make sure everybody reads it. Appreciate all the kind of work, Doug. Thanks, man. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. We do a bad job in the media sometimes. We just do. We do a bad job in the media because we don't understand. Like, we don't understand what people are. Or we, whether we try and portray a story in which, in the light in which we want to portray it, or maybe we, some of my brethren haven't been in the locker room enough, Um. Uh, Whatever the logic behind it is, we, we can do we can do a bad job sometimes in the media. All of us. Uh, I take you to last night into today the discussion about the New York Giants, right? And have you heard that Ben McAdoo called out Eli Manning? Have you heard that? Like I think it's a Dan Byer. Have you heard people say, "Oh"? Ben McAdoo called out Eli Manning. Yes, yes. Have you said that? No. Okay, I, I know you haven't. I haven't heard that from you. Ramos, had you heard that coming in? That, that, oh, and, yes. That's yeah. all I heard on right. morning radio. Called yeah. him out. Like, he called him out. He placed the blame on Eli Manning. Okay, I want you to listen. 
This is the this is the answer that everybody's talking about. Take a listen to the question that was posed. That's what happened on the delay of game penalty near the end zone. Uh, sloppy quarterback play. Quarterback and a center need to be on the same page there. We got to get the ball snapped. We have a veteran quarterback who's played a lot of football. I expect us to get the ball snapped. Usually the, the clock goes from uh, three, two, one, zero. Once it hits zero, they, they look at the ball, look at the clock. Usually have a tick once it hits zero to get the ball snapped without it being a delay of game. I thought we had, we had a chance to get it off. So, um, look, did he put the blame there at least partially on Eli? Because remember, he also said, like, hey, look, usually you get a little, you get a little extra leeway if it's right at the last second. And they didn't get that leeway. Sure. But he also, like, first thing was he wasn't blamed the refs guy. When like, the refs screwed us on that one. Like some parent. He said, like, usually you get a little half tick, which is accurate. Because oftentimes you look at the clock, it goes to zero. Like, wait, hey, was that snap late? And they let him get away with it. But he wasn't putting all of the blame of the offense on Eli Manning. He was asked a specific question about a specific play. The specific play was, and it was weird, it was like fourth and goal from the two-yard line. They're down 10 points at the time. Math will tell you, dude, kick the field goal. You're only down one possession. Just kick the field goal. Because if you you go for it and you don't get it, the, the reward getting you to within three points is not worth the risk. It's like a 99%er on the field goal as opposed to 50-50 shot if you run the play especially when you have no running game like the Giants. So that's not calling out your quarterback. That's answering a question. And yes, he put the issue on that particular play almost squarely on the shoulders of the quarterback because he's right. Like Eli Manning has been a quarterback for 15 years. You can't get a delay a game on fourth and goal from the two-yard line. You can't do it. Now, Eli might have gotten a delay a game on purpose because he didn't agree with the idea of going for it. And maybe that's why McAdoo was ticked, but that's not calling out your quarterback. You ask the question, you answer the question based upon the context of that play. I I think there's a difference. Fire, you agree there's a difference, or do you think that's calling out your quarterback? No, I do think that there's a difference, and I also think that if on a night where there are so many issues that – Maybe, and maybe this may be a stretch, but it also could be protecting some of the other issues that the Giants have by putting it on the guy who is likely to still keep his position on the field. You know what I mean? Like their offensive line stinks. They're awful. Eric Flowers probably shouldn't be playing. You're not going to bench Eli Manning for Geno Smith. So when you're calling out issues on the offense, he, he's a big boy. He can tell you know he's a, Eli's a big boy. Yeah, and he's boy. not he going to lose it. his job. Yeah, the, the, like if you were to call out, man, Eric Flowers needs some work. Now you're wondering why Eric Flowers, week in and week out, it's a common thing. Eli's safe in his job because they have no backup really to challenge him for the gig. So put it on Eli. Put it on the quarterback's shoulders. He's a big boy, as you said, veteran. He can handle it. Yeah, I can see that. I just I think that athletes take criticism a lot different than people take criticism. Where like the regular guys, like, well, he called him out. Like, well, yeah, he pointed out he made a mistake there. Like, you're not gonna. And, and, and I I've run into this in uh, in when I call basketball games where I'll show you like who made the mistake defensively. And like, well, there's not always a mistake. Like, okay, not always. Like NBA, you can play really good defense and it doesn't matter. They just jump up and make a shot over you. But a lot of times there's a mistake. That's how. That's how coaches and athletes and people who know sports, that's how they watch film, and they that's how you correct mistakes. And in this case, Eli was wrong. Like, look, 
It's your job as a quarterback to get that snap off. And and the other thing I take in, and I wondered why they were running a play there. And my guess is that they thought that they had uh, their their personnel grouping was such that they had the right call for the right down and distance for the right play that they were going to score a touchdown. And that's why Ben McAdoo's pissed. Like, hey, we hadn't scored a touchdown. We're down at the two-yard line. We choose to go for it. We got the right call, the right personnel grouping versus their personnel grouping. Eli's job to get the snap off. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.